0: Well, good morning. You guys doing good? All right, so here's the deal. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, all right, because as you just heard, we're going to teach, the, I'm going to try to teach the entire book of Esther this morning, all right? So pray for me in that one, um, and at the same time, put your proverbial seatbelt on because you're in for a ride because I think the Lord has some amazing for us this morning. So we're going to jump straight into it. We are in our unorthodox series. As you guys heard, this is part four. And this message is on Esther, and we've titled it Questions, Influencers, and ask. So if you have the notes, pull them out. We're going to be using them this morning. I think they're really important. Grab your Bibles as well, Um, and we're going to get a little bit of a history lesson this morning really quickly before we jump into the message. So um, let's go, all right? So here's the deal. Right at the beginning of your notes, uh, we wrote a paragraph out. This is Campus Pastor Weekend, and we came together, and we just said, you know, if if God wanted to share something, um, what is that, and how can we put that into one, one couple sentences? And it said this, the story of Esther shows how God used an unlikely candidate to save his people from annihilation, God wants to use us for His great purposes also, but we will only fulfill them if we ask God the right questions and follow Esther's example. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's dive right in here really quickly because uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of an understanding, paint a little bit of a picture um, on the story of Esther, give you guys a little bit of history so that when we talk about these things, we have a bit of an understanding uh, of what's happening in the world today um, or in this period of time when we talk about Esther. So Esther chapter one, we jump into this, this book and we're not going to read through the whole thing. I want to encourage you, it's only 10 chapters. Go back and read it if you haven't had a chance to do so. Or maybe it's been a little while since you read the story of Esther. Hopefully, some of this opens your eyes to this story a little bit. But the book of Esther happens somewhere around 476 BC. And so it's, a, it's about 475 ish years before Jesus comes to earth. And what happens um, is this. We've all read the story of Exodus where God's chosen people, the Jews, are, are stuck in captivity in Egypt. And God does this amazing thing and he releases them from Pharaoh's captivity and they wander around the desert for 40 years. And eventually they end up in the promised land, right? And that promised land is, is Israel. Well, what happens is, and if you don't know much about church history, then maybe this will help you a little bit. What happens is, is, is God's people, the Israelites, all, um, end up in captivity, Again, um, they end up in this place uh, called Babylon. And we've been talking about Babylon because that's where Daniel rose in power um, and, and authority in this godless Place um, in Babylon. And, and Babylon was, was really another culture that, that kept the Jews in captivity. Well, God just did this amazing thing again. He's like, Well, I did it once for you, I'll do it again for you. And he, it was basically the second exodus of the Jews, and He released them from the captivity of the Babylonians back into the Promised Land. And so we, we get to see all of God's people, the Jews, going back into the Promised Land, going back into Israel. But there's this section of Jews um, that get kind of trapped in this area of land called Persia. They don't quite make it back into the promised land. They get stuck in this place called Persia. And Persia is a kingdom that that extends all the way from uh, India all the way to Ethiopia. And so when we're talking about the book of Esther, we're talking about Persia, and we're talking about after the second exodus of God's people, the Jews, and we're talking specifically about the Jewish people that are now basically underneath the authority of another godless group of people, another godless kingdom, another kingdom that doesn't look highly on Jews. Um, and that's what we talk about when we jump in to the book of Esther. That's where, we are, we are, where we're at in space and time, 476 B.C., where this story occurs. And so we jump in with this understanding and we recognize now kind of um, what society looks like um, and how things operate and how Jews are looked at and where this is out in, in place and time in the world. And we come upon this guy, uh, and he's the king of all of Persia. And, and if you could just think in your mind, Persia is a big a big place, from India all the way to Ethiopia. This is, I mean, this king um, is ruler over, over an extensive amount of land, an extensive amount of people. Um, he has an extensive amount of authority. And so this king's name um, is Ahasuerus. And, and King Ahasuerus um, he's, a, he's a boastful man. He's a prideful man. He's a man that recognizes how much power and authority and might and wealth he has. And somewhere in the midst of this process, he thinks, you know what, I'm going to show people how awesome I am. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take six months out of this year, I'm going to take 180 days And I'm just going to flex my muscle. I'm going to show off my bling and I'm going to show people how incredible I am and how worthy I am for them to worship and bow down to me and just to see me as basically a God. And so he throws this 180-day festival that's going on in in, in Esther chapter 1. And in this 180-day festival, it literally says, go back and read Esther chapter 1, it literally says um, he invites all of the people from the kingdom, both high and low, and, and he Creates couches of gold sat on top of ornate mosaic tile floors that have marble pillars held holding the roofs up. And, and all of these carvings and these crazy, um, these crazy things that are, that are just an expression of him saying, you know what, look how much money I have. Look how much power I have. Look how awesome I am. Look at what I can do. I am so worthy of all of your praise and all of your honor and all of your glory. And that's what we see here in this period of time. And if that wasn't enough, King Ahasuerus decides after a 180-day festival of him showing off, he's like, man, I'm going to throw a seven-day party for all of these people. Now, the 180 days that I just read about, and that's in your Bible, I would consider that a party. So I want to know what the seven-day party looked like. I mean, if that was the pre-party, this seven-day party had to be something absolutely ridiculous. And and we know a little bit about what this seven-day party looked like because it says at this seven-day party, what happened is King Ahasuerus invited all of the men, again, um, young and old, high and low, from all across the kingdom into this place for just this seven-day party. Um, festival of debauchery and 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 drunkery if that's a word um, and, and and just indulging in all of the fleshly desires. In fact it says that nothing was withheld from them and they drank to their hearts content and every day throughout the seven days there was a new drink being presented to them and when they drank they drank out of gold goblets and each one of these goblets each day was different because he was again just showing off hey look you know we drink out of gold cups and those are just like the throwaways so I'm going to give you a new one every other day and every time you drink and they just drank to excess and so they're in the middle of this drunken fest this seven-day party where we enter in to the story of Esther and where everything starts and King Ahasuerus is throwing the seven-day party and at the end of the seven days um, King Ahasuerus um, he goes and he says, so the men are, in, uh, are having this party. They're partying up for seven days by themselves. The women are over here and they're having a party. I assume it's probably a tea party. It's not quite like the guys. I, don't, I mean, it's not. it doesn't really go a whole lot into that portion of time. But here's what we do know. King Ahasuerus goes and says, hey, at the end of this, he's you know, probably not in the right mental state. And he says to all the men, he's like, man, I've been hanging out with dudes for seven days. He's like, how about we invite my wife in here? She's the most beautiful woman that you've ever seen. And I want you guys to all put your eyes on her. She's Absolutely amazing and incredible. You guys want to see her? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. It stinks in here and it's just a bunch of testosterone. So let's get some femininity in this place. Um, and so the king, Hazarus, goes and he sends out his people, his guards or whatnot, um, to go and to, to call Queen Vashti into his presence. And so they go, and they, they, go, and they uh, go grab Queen Vashti, and they say, hey, Queen Vashti, um, the king is asking for you to come into his presence, and he wants you to put on um, your royal crown and to show yourself off to all of these men. And the queen goes, absolutely not. There's no way that I'm coming into the presence of all of these drunk men to go show myself off as a spectacle. Well, as you can imagine... This boastful, prideful, powerful, arrogant man who has all the power, all the authority, all the money, all of the riches, everything that you could imagine, is told no? Well, he doesn't like this. So King Ahasuerus says, you know what? I, I, I'm not okay with my queen saying no to me. So he brings his advisors in and he says, well, what are we going to do about this and how are we going to handle this? And ultimately what happens is the king decides, you know what? Forget you, queen. I don't need you. And he banishes her Queen Vashti, he banishes her from the kingdom and from his presence forever. In an instant, this woman who he's spent his life with, who, you know, things have developed through that process, um, and who he seemingly enjoyed, he at least enjoyed her beauty, in an instant, she's gone, and he's a bachelor again. So now the king's like, at the end of all this festival, he's like, okay, well, now there's a problem. I love women, and now I don't have one. And so what are we going to do about this? And so he goes back to his advisors and he says, hey, you know, how are we going to take care of this? I need your wisdom. I need you guys to help me through this process. And so his advisors say, well, hey King, we got an idea. Why don't we go into all of the land, all of Persia, everywhere that you have an authority, everywhere that you have a power, and we're gonna go out there and we're gonna grab the most beautiful of women, and we're gonna bring them into um, the palace, and we're gonna bring them into this place, and we're gonna prepare them. We're gonna get them ready for you. So not only are they the most beautiful, but they're the most prepared women, and we're gonna bring them into your presence, and after you've spent time with them, and after you, you know, you've gone through this process, um, you can choose one of those. To to be your queen. And the king's like, that's great, let's do it. And so what happens is, 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 is all of these royal people go out from the palace, and they go and they start gathering up women in this place called Persia, and, and they're picking the most beautiful of women. They're not asking them, hey, would you like to come with me? They're just saying, hey, you're beautiful, you're coming with me. And you're beautiful, you're coming with me. And you're beautiful, you're coming with me. And what happens is, is they go into this village where this young orphan girl lives and this young orphan girl her name is Hadassah and she's a Jew and this Jewish orphan girl is being raised by her cousin her older cousin and her older cousin his name is Mordecai and they're Jewish to the deepest root of what Jewish means and if you know much about Judaism you know it's more than just it's more than just a, a religion it, it's a lifestyle you know you're taught what you do eat and what you drink and what you don't eat and what you don't drink. There's 613 laws you're taught to keep. To be a Jew, you have to keep 613 laws. You have to dress this way. You have to hang out with these people. You have to keep these festivals. You have to do this and don't do that, and all of these different types of things that make you a Jew. And so this kingdom in Persia, and King Ahasuerus, he's not a Jew. So he's not looking for Jewish people. He's just looking for beautiful people. For beautiful women. And they find this, this Jewish woman, her name is Hadassah, and they grab her and they bring her into the kingdom. And that's where we're gonna pick up right now the story of Esther. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 10, we find an amazing piece of advice that Mordecai gives Esther as she's leaving her Jewish home and being brought forcefully into this kingdom. And Esther chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says Esther did not real reveal her ethnic background or her birthplace because Mordecai had ordered her not to. So Mordecai told Esther... Listen, Esther, I know that I've raised you to be a Jew. I know that I've raised you to hold these 613 laws. I know that I've raised you to be able to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way. You're a Jew to the core. You are Jewish in everything that you do. But Esther, I'm asking you right now, because you're going to this kingdom where that is not something that's highly favorable and looked fairly upon, I'm asking you right now, would you be willing to not tell them any of that? Esther, I know that, that to the deepest core of who you are, you're, you are a Jew, but, but can, you, can you hide this from them? Can you not tell them this? And immediately in that place, Esther was forced to ask what I believe is probably the most important question any person in life can ask. She was forced to ask the question of, who am I? She's forced to recognize and begin to answer the first question that we're going to jump into today, and that is who? Who am I? What is my identity? Because I've been raised my whole life to be a Jew, and now I'm being plucked from this environment that's very comfortable for me to be a Jew in, placed in the middle of this culture and society that it is very much not Jewish. In fact, it's very much anti Jewish, and now I'm being asked by my father figure in my life to basically hide who I am. So now I got to get to the core and the root of understanding am I okay with that, first of all? And if I'm okay with obedience, Bain, what my cousin Mordecai is asking me to do, then I need to start asking the question, if, if my heritage, and my lineage, my ethnicity, these laws, all of the dress, the things that I do and don't do, the ways that I act and don't act, the things that I say and don't say, the stuff that I eat and don't eat, the things that I drink and don't drink, if all of those things that I've been taught were the things that made me who I am, but those are Now being asked for me to be able to release those, I I don't know who I am. And she was forced to answer the question, who are you, Esther? What is your identity? And what's amazing is Esther realized this process, And as we can recognize as we continue to dive a little bit deeper into this story, Esther realized that who she was was not found in the label that she wore as being a Jew. It was not found in, in keeping these laws or not keeping these laws and dressing this way or not dressing this way and acting this way or talking this way or drinking these things or not drinking these things or staying away from these people or hanging out with these. She realized that that was not who she was. Her identity was not found in keeping a set of rules or standards. Her identity had had to be found in something different. And so we say, well, what was that identity found in? Her identity was found in God. She had to strip everything away in her life and recognize as she answered this question on identity, who am I? She had to come to the foundational understanding that I am a child of God first and foremost, and that's what matters when I enter into this kingdom. And that's something that will never change. That's something that no matter what you tell me to do or not to do, you will never change who I am to the core because I am God's child and I am a follower of God. And God wanted to use that in her life in such an amazing way. And we're going to get into that portion of the story here in just a second. But I want to sit here for just a second. Because as I said, I think this question, who, who are you? is a question, first of all, that all of us have to ask before we ever ask another question, and we all have to find the answer before we can actually ever successfully ask other sequential questions in life and get good answers of those. In fact, this question of who am I is a question that I believe in the world that we live in today is is one that everybody around us is asking. In one way, shape, or form, people are looking for their identity in life, in this world. Some people find it. By attaching themselves to a sexual identity. Some people find it by attaching themselves to a religious identity. Some people find it by attaching themselves to a social identity. Some people find their identity in all different types of things. And and the thing that I wanna talk about for us today, sitting in church, is the Christian identity. I wanna say, what does it mean to identify with Christianity? Because if I ask you the question, who are you, I think a lot of people um, in this room, in this very room, or people maybe live streaming online, or somebody that might hear this message later on, some people are going to say, I'm a Christian! Woohoo! I wear the t-shirts, I got the bumper sticker, I got the cross on my car, I even got one tattooed on my arm. I'm a Christian, baby. But the problem is this. I don't know that Christian is the right identity for us to wear. Because nowhere do I see in Scripture, nowhere do I see in history, nowhere do I see in what God has called us to do to label ourselves as Christian. In fact, this idea of Christian, this word Christian actually was foundationally established early on. It, It was actually created, get this, the word Christian was actually created by unbelievers when they were trying to describe People who were following Jesus. They said, we don't know what to label these people. This is a whole new thing for us. So let's just call them Christians. Well, this label Christian kind of caught fire and, and and it was sticky. And so eventually, you know, thousands of years later, we take this label and this heading Christian and we apply it to our lives and we feel good about it, right? But here's what I got a problem with. And here's where things don't really equate and equal together. And when I read the story of Esther, and that is this. Esther was a Jew, but she stripped that away and she stepped into society and she stepped into this place that God had called her, and she just said, you know what, I don't even need to call myself a Jew. That's not my identity. My identity is not in Judaism. My identity is in God. And for us, whenever I challenge this and I shake this up a little bit, and I hope it does shake you up a little bit to the core, quite honestly. I hope you're a little bit uneasy with what I'm talking about right now because what I want to shake up is this. The fact that God has not called his people to be Christians. God has called his people to be Christ followers. God is not looking for people to wear a label or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or a tattoo or any of these other kinds of things to feel good about patting yourself on the back that I'm fulfilling all of these Christian duties and, and making sure that all of these things are outlined in my life appropriately or that I'm attending church enough or I'm reading my Bible enough or I'm praying enough. God is in to people following Him and His Son Jesus. And sometimes these things have become so far apart from each other. We have Christians here. And Christ followers here. In fact, there's a woman. Her name is Anne Rice. Some of you may not, uh, know her name. Um, she's an author. And Anne Rice, in the late '70s, wrote a series of books. And one of the books that she wrote became a movie, very popular. And I think there were some other movies made after her books. Um, but she was an author, and she wrote uh, the book uh, um, "Interview with a Vampire," which was made into a movie. I mean, she made some money off that book. And she got to meet people and go places and do things and become very famous for writing these books. But, but I'm not going to talk about that book specifically. But what I want to talk about is Anne Rice's life because there's something very interesting about her life. And I'm not condoning um, anything regarding her books or any of these kinds of things. But I want to share with you something that happened that I found very interesting, at least with her life. And Anne Rice was raised a Catholic. And as soon as she got to the age where she could make a decision and a choice in her life, she chose to leave the church. And not only did she choose to leave the church, she chose to leave religion in the dust and say, you know what? I am basically anti-religion. I'm anti-God. I don't even know if I believe in these things, and I'm going to distance myself from this. And she lived most of her life away from God. Keeping it not even not, not at arm's length. I mean, it was uh, it was way away. Way distant. And so through her career, she was writing all of these books. She was not in a relationship with God. She didn't even believe these things. She didn't walk in these things. Um, And somewhere in the midst of this process, she was doing research um, for another book. And, And in the midst of this, she just realized, I'm wrong. God does exist. There is a creator. And she started diving deeper into this. And um, she she gained a new love and passionate understanding for what it meant to serve God, to love God, and to love Jesus. And so um, she recommitted her life to Christ, and she actually recommitted her career to God. And she began she began writing books. They were still fiction books, but now these fiction books took a turn, and they weren't about vampires anymore. Um, they were about uh, uh, the writings about what if um, when we knew what happened when Jesus was 15 years old, and 16 years old, and 17 years old. You know, these fiction books about what he did, and who he hung out with, and what all this kind of stuff looked like. And she started writing all these books and whatnot. Well, in 1998, that's when she gave her life back to Christ, and she spent 10 years committed to those things. And then in 2010... Ann Rice wrote a post on Facebook that said this, For those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I didn't know that was something you could quit. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being Christian or being a part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. My faith in Christ is central to my life. My conversion from a pessimistic atheist lost in a world I didn't understand to an optimistic believer in a universe created and sustained by a loving God is crucial to me. But following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been. Or might become. Now, some of you guys are ready to stand up and amen that thing with the loudest amen you've ever said, and you may never have even done that in church. And some of you are wanting to, after this service is over, go out there and punch me in the face. And some of you are a bit on the fence, and I'm a bit on the fence too. But here's what I love about what she says because it shakes up religious attitudes, and mindsets, because what she lands on is something that I think is fully appropriate, and that is the challenge that I want to bring to every person in this room today, is when I ask you who you are, is your answer, I'm a Christian, or is your answer, I'm a Christ follower, because there's a huge difference. Not only is there a difference in this room, but there's a difference in this world, because when you go into this world, and people ask you who you are, and you say, I'm a Christian, guess what? Unfortunately, in the day and age we live in today, we are known more for what we stand against and what we hate in other people than what we stand for. And that was never what God came here for. And that was never what he sent Jesus here for. He sent us to be the light and the love in this world. And when we wear that label Christian across our shirts and across our sleeves and across our t-shirts or our, our bumper stickers or our cars or however we wear that label when we go into the world, the world immediately keeps us here. But God has called us to get in the middle of it all. And Esther realized it. She realized, you know what? Strip away all this junk. I'm going to go in there I'm going to be a follower of God and I'm going to infiltrate this world and I'm going to let God use me in that way. Are you going to let God use you in that way? Now listen, I'm not saying don't come to church. That would be the stupidest thing I would have ever said from this pulpit. I'm not saying distance yourself from church or organized religion or Christianity in the way that we see it. The right version of it because God is about that. We just talked about the book of Acts and believers coming together and uniting and and working in one accord together. I do believe in that and I do agree with those things. But what I want to say is, listen, on the foundation, the core of who you are, are you a Christian or are you a Christ follower? Because there's a huge difference in the way you're going to live your life. Because when he calls you and he says, who are you? You're going to have to answer for that. And he is looking for people who are going to be Christ followers. When we understand our identity, then we can start to answer all the other questions that are presented. And we're not going to have a whole lot of time to go into these, and I want you to take these home and be challenged with each one of these questions. But let's jump into these really quickly and look at the life of Esther and see how she answered these things. After we know who we are, we can finally start to answer the question of what. What is it, God, that you've called me to do? What are the tools that you have given me? And Esther... Guess what? In Esther chapter 2, verse 17, we stumble upon this amazing piece of scripture that's really interesting. It says, The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other young women. And he placed a royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. Wow, that's really cool. How did she win more favor than any of the other women? What was it? What was the tool that God gave her to use? You know what's really funny? If you read the story, you know. Her beauty. It wasn't her strength or her smarts or her being able to outwit all of these other ladies that are in the same bachelorette process or whatever going on, you know, through this. Um, It was the fact that she was the most beautiful. Simple as that. And God wanted to use that tool in her life for his glory. Now, with my eyes darting around the room, not not all of us have the gift of, you know, beauty to be able to leverage to open doors like that in our lives. Some of us do, some of us don't. It's a great time for you husbands to elbow your wives and be like, you do, baby. (laughs) You do, baby. Um, But we all have gifts. And God has given us gifts, he has given us tools, he has given us resources, he has given us things to use in our lives. And they look different across all of us. God has given us each one a different set of tools. And we need to just be okay that we have the tools that we have because those are gifts from God. In fact, Romans chapter 11 says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Let's enjoy what he's given us. And let's use them in the kingdom. She used her beauty, I don't know what your gift is, but may you use it and leverage it to move the kingdom of God forward. You know, I, I gained an understanding of, of how important it is to be able to have the right set of tools and knowledge of how to use those, to be able to successfully navigate through life. Um, my wife and I, we were away on a trip, and there was somebody watching some of our children at the house, and they gave us a call, and they said, hey, the heat went out in the house. And this was this was like uh, November, um, October, whatever it was, September, late September, but it just got really cold. Um, and... They called us, and they said the heat went out in the house, and it's, you know, it's like 58 degrees or whatever, and we can't get this thing to turn on. So I said, go to the basement, flip the switch on, make sure that everything's good and whatever. They went down, and they're like, yeah, we've done that. We've called the neighbors over. We cannot figure it out. I said, well, we'll be home pretty soon. In the next couple of days, I'll look at it whenever we get home if you guys um, can just bundle up. And so we got home, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm pretty handy. I can figure this thing out. So I went down to the basement, and I like flipped the switch on, and that was about as far as I knew how to get it. I'm just like, I really don't know much about HVAC systems, you know, I don't know much about a heating system. And so I pulled the panel off like I knew what I was doing, right? And I look and I see this blinking light and I'm like, I don't know if it's supposed to blink or if it's supposed to stay solid or if it, I don't know, I really don't have a clue. All I know is everything looks fine to me. And so I was like, well, I can sit here and I can fiddle with things and I could probably break them beyond what they're broken right now. um, But I'm not going to do that, I'm going to call somebody in. And so I called an HVAC guy and he came over to my house and he plugged in all this stuff. And I mean, immediately he ran a diagnostic test and he said, sure enough, um, your exhaust um, is, is uh, something's not functioning there appropriately. It's giving us an error in the exhaust portion of the system. He said, so there's a valve on there that I want to replace because that's the first step that we want to take. It's probably the cheapest option. So he replaced the valve and, and um, lo and behold, it didn't do anything. And so he said, okay, you know, we've got a couple other steps to, to work through here. And um, as he walked through those and whatnot, um, I just kind of stood and just watched him. And he used his set of tools to continue to, to play with this whole thing. And he eventually goes, hey, do you, got, you have kids? And I said, yeah, I've got six of them. He's like, okay. He's like, um, let me go check something really quickly. And so we walked over in the basement, and my basement's unfinished, and it had a, it has an exhaust tube, you know, like a three-inch or four-inch PVC pipe running to the outside, and he goes over, and he hits, he hits one of the pipes, and it's like, doom, 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 and then he goes over and he hits another one of the pipes, it's like, doom, 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 he's like, that's what I thought. So we go outside, and he takes me outside, <clears throat> and he shows me where this exhaust pipe comes out of the house, and he's like, um, he's like, Check this out. And he puts his arm inside the exhaust pipe, and he just starts pulling out rocks. (laughs) I mean, rock after rock after rock. And I kid you not, I kid you not, he probably pulled out 100 rocks out of that thing. And so we go back downstairs, and he's like, hey, I couldn't reach them all there. I'm going to have to cut your pipe. And so we went down to the basement. He cut the pipe, and he tilts it down. And I mean, literally, 200 more rocks fall on the floor in the basement. I'm like, I could have done that. <laughs> and so he fixed it. He put it all together and whatnot. But here's, here's where this is interesting. I, it was an easy solution, right? It was an easy solution to a problem. But because I didn't have the right set of tools to diagnose how to fix that, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what was wrong. And I wasn't gifted with the ability to go in there and to fix it. But he was. And in the kingdom of God, it's the same way. God wants to give you tools and he has given you tools and he wants to give every person a different set of tools and just because you have you don't have the same tools as another person let's champion and applaud what God is doing in other people's lives and then let's leverage and use what he has given us in our lives because there are other things that I can do in my house there are other things that I can do with the gifts that God has given me but it's important for us to use them in the right ways and Esther understood that he gave her her beauty. And once we understand what we're called to do, then we got to understand when we're called to do it because timing's a very important thing in life. And in Esther chapter four fourteen, Esther realized this. In Esther chapter four fourteen, we come upon a passage of scripture that. What's happened between what we just read and this portion of Scripture is that there's a really bad advisor to the king who doesn't like Jewish people because of some situations that you guys can read about in the book of Esther. Um, And because of these, he goes to the king and he um, basically cons the king um, or coerces the king into creating a decree. And this decree says that on the 12th month of this current year, um, that all of the guards and the people of the palace are going to go out and they're going to murder every Jewish person in all of Persia. Now Esther, being a Jew, who's hidden this from all the people around her and hidden it from all the people in the kingdom, and the king himself says, I'm not okay with that. And so we come upon this passage of Scripture, and Mordecai says to Esther, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps... You have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You see, when we know who we are, and when we know what we're called to do, then we need to ask God, God, what is your timing? God, when are you calling me to speak, and when are you calling me to keep silent? And the church at large today, I think, is not really good at doing this, because we don't like to keep silent, we just like to keep talking. And sometimes God's saying, listen, let me open some doors, let me open some hearts, let me open some eyes before you go out there and shut them to you permanently. Is this a novel idea? May we use the wisdom of God the way that Esther did. And I'm not telling God's people to be silent because I don't think that's what God has called us to do. But I do believe God has called us to use wisdom to say, you know what, in my timing, I can do the miraculous. I can open doors that you never can but you have to know when I'm calling you to do this and when I'm calling you to hold back. You see, Esther withheld the understanding of the fact that she was a Jew until this period of time. For such a time as this that God called her. Timing is ultimately important. You may know what to do, but if you don't know when to do it, the success rate of actually going and doing something successfully goes down dramatically. You know, my wife and I, um, we... we, um, we Normally after Saturday, try to go grab something to eat after church, and um, we had a coupon to go to a restaurant up the street here, local restaurant after church, Um, and so this coupon was a kids eat free coupon, and when you got six kids, it's like they pay you to come to their establishment, (laughs) and so we had this coupon and we're like, let's go eat. So we jump in the car and we go drive over to the establishment Saturday night after service and we pull up and I'm looking at the coupon. We're sitting in the car. Nobody's out. Everybody's starting to get unbuckled. And I look at the coupon and I go, hey, baby, um, this coupon says it's good Tuesday through Thursday. And immediately your heart sinks. But the reality is this. That coupon is very valuable. In fact, Tuesday through Thursday, that coupon's worth like a Benjamin. That's like 100 bucks right there. But on Saturday... That coupon's absolutely worthless. It's more frustrating to have that thing in your hand when you're sitting in front of that restaurant, kids eat free, and you can't use it. And just like that coupon, God has given us tools. But the thing is, is we need to know when to use those tools because if we try to use them outside of his timing, they're completely void and invalid. They don't matter one bit. They're worth nothing. God is calling you to listen to when he's calling you to do these things. We need to know his timing. Moving on for the sake of time. We also need to know where. God, not just when have you called me, but where have you placed me? Where have you purposely placed me, and how can I strategically serve you here? In Esther chapter 4.15, after all of this has happened, and after she recognizes there's a problem here, We come upon the scripture, it says, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance, and as soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she won his approval. The king extended the golden scepter in his hand towards Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Here's the deal. Here's why this matters. The king had established a rule that said anybody that entered into his presence, without him inviting them in, they would be put to death immediately. Well, Esther knew that God had called her at that time to go into that place. And because of that, she trusted that God was with her. And she took her own life into her hands because she was not invited into the presence of the king. But she knew that God had called her. She knew that she was the one that was supposed to do it. And she knew that that was the place that she had to go to get it done. And so she did it, and God found favor on her life in that place, as did the king. Because when he extended his golden scepter, you know what that meant? That was the only way that your life would be spared in that place. If he did nothing, and we know he doesn't like queens quite that much because he had just banished one of them. And so um, there was an amazing, miraculous favor that was found upon Esther when she stepped into this place. And and it is about being purposefully placed in some place. It's it's about, God, where have you put me purposefully so that I can serve you? And I want to ask you, do you ask that question in your life? God, do you have me here for a reason? Where have you put me so that I can be a light in this world. I'm going to invite Pastor JJ to come up and we're going to really quickly go through this why question. Here's the reality of the situation in the book of Esther the whole reason that God did everything, the whole reason that she got plucked from the place that she was, the whole reason that she was put into the position saying don't talk about being a Jew, the whole reason that all of these things happened was so that God could use her to liberate the Jews from what was about to happen. And because of the fact that she was placed in there and because of the fact that she asked the right question, she was able to have an influence on that king and in that kingdom in a way that no other person could have ever had. And at the end of the story, here's what happens. She goes to the king and presents to him in the midst of him, you know, extending that scepter and saying, hey, what is it, queen, that you need? She invites him to this party that she throws. And at that, after two of these nights when she just um, blesses him, she comes to him and says, hey, here's the deal, I'm a Jew. And there's been a decree issued that all the Jews in the land on the 12th month of this year are going to be murdered, and I can't be okay with that, and I need your help, king. And because she knew what God had called her to do and who God had called her to be, she was able to get in there and she was able to change the culture around her. And guess what? The Jews, the Jewish people were saved because of this one woman, an unlikely candidate that God chose to use. And she didn't get stuck on the why questions. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why is this person in this position and that person in that position? Why are these doors open and these doors closed? Why, God, do you seem to speak very clearly at times? And why, God, do you seem to be so distant at others? She didn't get hung up on all the why questions that couldn't be answered. She got hung up on the why question that can be answered. And it was, why, God, do you want to use me? And the answer to that question is because I want to advance my kingdom through you. And I want to say the same thing to all of you. Sometimes we get hung up on this why question. Unless God answers the why and these things, then I'm not going to move. But God wants to and has already established the answer to that why question. Why God, me? Well, you, because I need you. I want to use you. Because my kingdom can be advanced far greater because of you. In ways that you could never ask or imagine. But it's at this place in time that I reel all the way back to the beginning of this message and say, you will never be able to successfully answer any of these other questions. The what, when, where, and why, unless you first know who you are. And we have a world full of people that don't know who they are. We have churches full of people that don't know who they are. And it's time for us to establish that and then begin to use that as the foundation for answering all the other questions in our lives. Who are you? Are you somebody who's a Christian that comes to church feels good about that pat yourself on your back because you check enough of the boxes to make yourself feel good or are you a follower of Christ who's willing like Esther to infiltrate this world in a way that actually will be effective because there's a world out there that's hurting looking for their identity and quite honestly church it's found in Christ and it's our responsibility to bring it out there we want to champion people to help navigate culture to help navigate culture and get out there and be a light strategically for the Lord. But we got to ask the right questions in the right order. And as we do that, we can see miraculous things happen in our world the way that Esther did. Would you pray with me? Father, we open our hearts to you right now. We thank you for all that you have given us, Lord. We thank you that you have called us to be partakers and participants in your kingdom, Lord God, and that you have branded us not with a name or a stamp of religion, Lord God. May we shake those things off, but we thank you that you've branded us with the life of Jesus. Life through Jesus. And God, we use that as the foundation of our lives to answer all the other questions, and we trust that you will answer when we ask of these things, Lord God. And I pray that every person in this room, no matter how much they wrestle with these things or how okay they are with them, I pray that every person would be uneasy if they're not going out and doing these things in this world and being that light. Father, may you use us just like you used Esther and give us wisdom as we navigate. We thank you, Father, that you are so good to us and that you do speak when we ask when we call out to you and ask the right questions. Lord. We pray these things in your precious and your holy name. Amen.